All right. How you guys doing out there? Doing good? Good. Hope so. Really, really hope so. So, anyways, anybody know what I talked about last week? What is it? Pattern yourself? Good, Nicole. It's not even up there yet. You're smart. That was good. Yes, pattern yourselves. I talked about worthy role models. The fact that we should have role models in our life that are worthy, that are people that we should actually try to not just imitate, but emulate. That means do even more so. Not just be like them, but excel past that. So I talked to you about what that meant. And I talked to you about imitation, that uh, pattern yourself after someone is basically imitating them and making them your role model. And I asked you last week who your role models are. And do you actually even think about the fact that you yourself may be a role model for somebody else? I explained to you that through observance that there is influence. And one, that we're influenced by what we see. And two, that we influence others by the way that we also act. So there's really a lot of weight with what we observe in a daily life and what people observe in us. Um, one of the things that we definitely can see in our society is that we are in a really sad state. There's really a short supply of good role models. And uh, I don't know if you guys are aware of who Charles Barkley is. Um, obviously, years ago, he was asked about his influence over younger kids and simply just said himself, I'm no role model. Well, that's great. You can say that. But it's kind of a naive statement because, you know, you could say that you're not a role model, but it really doesn't take away the fact that you may be one, that people could hold you in higher regard and have you up on a pedestal and have you be their role model. So for the most part in society, people do look up to people like Charles Barkley and, and others who've had influence on their lives. Tiger Woods, his quote on uh, being a role model says, I think it's an honor to be a role model to one person or maybe more than that. If you're given a chance to be a role model, I think you should always take it because you can influence a person's life in a positive light, and that's what I want to do. That's what it's all about. Britney Spears quote, I would like to be called an inspiration to people, not a role model, because I make mistakes like everyone else. When I'm off stage, I'm just like everybody else. You know, this might be fine for a world view on influence, to observe the world, if you're not a believer. If you are a believer, then you should really have some different people in your lives that are role models. Uh, last week, I talked to you about who um, I consider a really good role model, and that's Paul. And Paul himself says in 1 Corinthians 1.11 in the Amplified Bible, he says, pattern yourself after me. Follow my example as I imitate and I follow Christ. So basically, he's going to imitate Christ, so you can follow him because once he imitates Christ, then you're going to be really following the genuine article is what it's all about. Also in your lives, there should be people, not just celebrities, not just people in the Bible either. There should be people in your lives that actually make a difference and matter to you. There should be people that you look at and think, wow, that's what I do want to be like. And uh, especially in Christian circles. And I think we're sadly missing some people there too. You know, if I talk to you about influence, um, a lot of times what happens is people don't observe people in God's word because they're not reading it. They're not paying attention. They're not taking and really taking in those things that they're supposed to be taking. They're, not supposed, they're, they're supposed to be understanding who Paul is and understanding who these other disciples are and seeing the, the, the good things and the bad things that took place in their lives and the fact that they continued on 
But what happens in a lot of Christian circles is people don't read God's word. So your role models aren't even the people who you're supposed to have as role models, which are supposed to be other believers who've lived this life of faith, and they're not because you really haven't picked up and done what you're supposed to do. So tonight, again, I ask you, who are your role models? It's something to think about. I really want you to end this year thinking upon who it is that you really put in your life as an example. It's a very important thing to do. I know it sounds like, oh, role models, well, no big deal. It is. It matters very, very much. Last week I told you that we were going to talk about Nehemiah. Nehemiah is an awesome man of God. He is a true role model to follow after. If you've never read Nehemiah in the Bible, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to basically read about the first six chapters to you, and I'm not going to read it all, but I'm going to explain it to you. And there's so much more even after that that he does that's amazing. And he really is a true role model. Donald Stamps, who wrote the Full Life Study Bible, he describes Nehemiah as a superb biblical model of a godly leader in government, a man of wisdom, principle, courage, impeccable integrity, unwavering faith, who had compassion for the oppressed and great gifts in leadership and organization. Man, that's a man of God. That is what you want to be. Definitely a man that you should desire to follow. I want to look at his qualities tonight. And I'm going to tell you, boys, pay attention, because I'm going to explain to you something very, very important. Pattern yourselves after Nehemiah, because I'm going to tell you it's what girls look for in a man. It is not some pansy guy that doesn't do nothing. It's a guy that is a leader. And I'm going to go through and tell you what the, what the qualities are. And I'm going to tell you, as women, it's what we're looking for. So if you guys would take note that some they want to be taught. They want to have a man be the leader. They really do desire that in their lives. So I want you to think about this tonight. It's not just some story. Pattern yourselves after this man, boys, okay? Nehemiah's story is a story about a man who cared deeply, very deeply for Jerusalem. God's chosen people. We know the beginning, right? There are slaves in Egypt being oppressed. So what happened was Nehemiah loves Jerusalem. He cares about them very much. They're his family, the people he loved. And he's really, really concerned about them. And they don't tell you, that's something also you need to pattern yourselves after because that's still something today we're supposed to be doing. As a Christian, if you are a believer, one of the things that the Bible says in Psalm 122.6, it says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So we continually, every day, really should be praying for the peace of Jerusalem and be concerned about it just as much as Nehemiah was. So Nehemiah was prayerful, but he did much, much more than that. You know, he put his faith, he put his concern, and he put his love into action. It wasn't just, I care about these people, because we do that a lot, right? We're very concerned. It's like, you know, I really hate to see people starve. But it wasn't just the fact that he hates to see it. He really wanted to do something about it. You know, he went through great ups and downs, but he stayed dedicated to God through every bit of what he was going through. And he always followed after godliness. If you look at Nehemiah, and I'm going to start to read the beginning of it. And I'm going to read you out of the Message Bible because I really think the Message Bible really states a lot of what um, happens in Nehemiah's life in a really simple, up-to-date way. It says, These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah. It was the month of Kis- Kislev in the 20th year. At the time, I was in a place complex at Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, had just arrived from Judah with some fellow Jews. I asked them about the conditions among the Jews who had survived the exile. These are the people who were just the slaves. And he wants to know how are they doing now after they've been released. They told me the exile survivors who are left there in the providence are in very bad shape. Conditions are appalling. The wall of Jerusalem is still in rubble. 
The city gates are in cinders. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. I mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So let me tell you first off, boys, Nehemiah was a godly man. As a Christian girl, you are going to look for a godly man. You're going to look for someone who's going to be a real follower of God. So the thing is, he proved right off the bat he had shown great, great concern for those people that he really loved. Godliness. He also showed that he was a very sensitive person. You know, we don't want pansies as girls, but we also want a guy who's going to be sensitive enough, enough and caring that he's not so hardcore that he's like, yeah, whatever. And he also, he called out to God. He was willing to call out to the God that he loved. It, conti- it continues on and says, um, Nehemiah said, I said, God, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, loyal to his covenant and faithful to those who love him and obey his commands. Look at me, listen to me, pay attention to this prayer of your servant that I'm praying day and night in intercession for your servants, the people of Israel, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, and I'm including myself, I and my ancestors, among those who have sinned against you. Nehemiah was a godly man, but he was also a true, real godly man. Obviously, this man was real. You know, he said so himself. He boldly was calling out to God, and he was asking for help, saying that God was faithful to those who loved him and obeyed his command. I might be flawed, but I am real. I'm not false. He said, look at me. Listen to me. Pay attention to the prayer of your servant that he's praying day and night. He was calling attention to himself. I'm going to tell you, a real godly man is going to be able to do that with confidence. He's going to be able to say, hey, God, take notice of me, because I'm real. I'm not fake. Also, he says he was in prayer. He's interceding for those people that he loved. Intercession is a very important thing as a godly person. There's going to be times where God will wake you up in the middle of the night and you don't even know what it's about until someone that God puts on your mind. And it's called interceding for someone. It's the only way they're going to make it. Sometimes God will lay someone on your heart. That's what happened to Nehemiah. He interceded for those people that he loved. He, later on, he says that he fasted and he prayed. He gave up food. He prayed to God for those people that he loved. And he also says that he was a very humble man. He was willing to include himself and his answers among those who had sinned against God. He didn't say, hey, those people that didn't follow after you, God, you know, those ones. He basically said, including myself, that didn't honor you as much as we should. And then he goes on to say, we've treated you like dirt. We haven't done what you told us. We haven't followed your commands, and we haven't respected the decisions that you gave to Moses, your servant. Next off, Nehemiah knew God's word, and he knew God's promises. A true godly man, a role model, will know God's word. It's important for you to be reading God's word daily. I'm going to tell you it is life-giving. He knew what was spoken to Moses. And the reason why he knew is because he read it. He paid attention to it. He knew what it said. He knew that if these people betrayed God, that God said he would scatter them. But if they would just be obedient, that he would bring them all back together again. And he would take care of them. That's God's promises still today exactly what he says. Do you know all these promises of Israel? It's something that still today is just as much to be noticed and paid attention to because in 1948, not that long ago, was when they were able to come back in and make it a Jewish state. God has always held Jerusalem as his chosen covenant with those people. It's something that you have to be aware of and pay attention to because it still affects today. 2008, no different than it was then. Still the promise. He also knew that he could ask God for help and for favor. Nehemiah knew this because he read God's word. He knew that you could ask God for help. He thought, God, you know what? I know I can ask you for favor. Still today, you yourself have all the power 
if you're a manly, a, a godly man or a godly woman, to call out to God and say, God, give me favor. You can do that if you have confidence. See, the problem is we don't have confidence because we're not reading God's word and we're not living the life. So we have no confidence to go stand before God and say, God, pour favor upon me in my life. He knows he, that he could do it. He actually says, make me successful today so that I get what I want from the king. The other thing, women are looking for, role model for you to follow, Nehemiah was a good worker. I'm going to tell you, I'd never be with somebody that wasn't a good worker. I want a man that's going to work hard because I work hard. And I don't want no one sitting on the couch just sitting back kicking it easy when I'm working like a dog. They better be working alongside with me. The one thing about Nehemiah, it says he was a cupbearer to the king. A cupbearer was an officer of high rank whose duty was to serve the wine at the king's table. Now, this job was not easy because there were some bad benefits that come along with it, and it was basically to check for poison. You know what? If it was the king was going to get poisoned, guess what you were going to do first? You could drink it out of that cup first. So when you're the cupbearer, you're going to pour the wine for the king, but you're also going to take a sip first to see if it's poison first. And you're dying first before the king. So that was his job. You know, on con- the fact that there's kings always had constant fear that there's going to be a plot to kill them. You know, those people that he had around them were considered trustworthy, loyal people to be right around the king, to be that close. And so Nehemiah was put in this position of honor, really. You know, he had these really a close confidential relationship with the king. And it really gave him more influence than he probably should have ever deserved. But see, this is another thing you have to understand. When you're following after God and you're doing the things right that God wants you to do, God will give you positions that you never should have had. That's how he works it. You know, he gives you these places of position and influence that you should never have an opportunity for, but you'll have them because of the fact that you're being true and real and honoring God. God puts us in the key places, and we are called to accomplish his will when we're there. That's what we're supposed to do. But who we are inside of our hearts will determine if we will accomplish all that he desires for us to accomplish in the time and the place that we exist. See, there's a thing that God's word says over and over again, that a certain person will do what they were supposed to do in their generation of time. Sometimes it's big, sometimes it's small. But whether or not we accomplish it and whether or not we do it will make all the difference in the world. Um, if you look at the fact that him being a good worker, you know, he, he basically goes and he stands before the king. And he walks up to the king and he is kind of down and out. And the king says, why so downcast, Nehemiah? Why are you so down? Why are you so upset? Now, here is a man who basically had an opportunity. He could have drank poison every time he served the king. And you know something? It proves that he was a good worker because here's a man who never, ever showed that he was that upset. You know, he must have been a pretty good worker and had a pretty good attitude if he could be around the king all the time and show, like, a good expression on his face and be treated with that, that kindness to the king. You know, so here the king notices. He says, why are you so upset? What, what's, what's the problem? And Nehemiah basically says, why shouldn't I be upset? He says, my relatives, the people I love, my family is basically... And living in an area where there's nothing, their, their wall is torn down, they have no protection, their gates have been burned up, they're in cinders. And so what he does is he asks the king, he says, King, can I possibly go? Can I go take care of, can I go rebuild the wall? 
he shouldn't have an opportunity to go because God wanted him to have an opportunity to go. He gets to go, but not only gets to go, but because of the fact that God put him in that place to do what he was supposed to do, he also had influence over the king. The king not only gives him free reign to go, but the king gives him all these different ways that he can be blessed when he goes. He lets him have places and, and, and money, and he has best wood to, to build the wall, and he has an escort of protection, and he has all these different things because that's how God works. God gives favor to those people who are serving him with faithfulness. So he must have been a good enough worker that he had never acted the way that he did until that time before the king. Nehemiah had a vision of what he was called to do. He knew it was his job. He was supposed to go to Jerusalem himself, and he was supposed to rebuild the walls and the gates for the protection of the people that he loved, that he desired so much to see set free again and live in a place where they could just feel confident and comfortable. The other thing that proves this is Nehemiah was a man of action. Man, Nehemiah was a leader through and through. God is looking for some great leaders out there. Are you going to do it? Are you going to be the leader? Are you going to continually follow over and over and over again? Are you just going to observe? Are you going to be observable? That's the problem. There's so many people who are just waiting, sitting back. It's like, well, what am I supposed to do? Do something. God help you, please do something. If I have to watch generations upon generations, people do nothing, I swear sometimes I could just gag myself. I can't take it no more. There's times where I'm so frustrated when I look out and I think, get going, people. Time is short. If you don't get doing your job, look how many people are not going to make it. We've got to get busy here. The one thing about God is he's looking for good men to become great men. Girls, I want you to understand I'm saying about Nehemiah. Men, women, all the same, leaders. A lot of times, sadly, guys, because you're not doing your job, women are going to pick it up. They're going to do the job that you didn't do because the fact that God's not going to let things just stop. He's not going to let it stop. So God's looking for good men to become great men and do what he asked them to do. Not just the least that you can do, but the most. And not just enough to get by, but to do it by leaps and bounds over and over and over again, higher and higher and higher, taller, bigger, broader steps than what he, you'd ever possibly think you could do. The other thing about Nehemiah, man, he was a hard worker. I want to see people be hard workers. If you're up here in CYM, you realize really quickly, we all work hard. And if you don't work hard, you're probably going to get called out on it because you know what? We expect everybody to work hard. It goes on to say that he's up in the middle of the night. He takes a look at the wall and the gates and he surveys it to see what kind of work and workers the jobs are going to take. And then he goes to all the Jewish leaders and he gives them this report. So here we know he's not just there sitting back waiting for someone else to do the job. He's out surveying it in the middle of the night trying to figure out what it's going to take. And he says, face it, we're in a bad way here. Jerusalem is a wreck. Its gates are burned up. Come, let's build the wall of Jerusalem and not live with this disgrace any longer. And then he tells the people, I told them how God was supporting me and how the king was backing me up. And because he was this great leader, these people decided to just follow him. And they lived there with all this destruction and rubble and problems around them. And what it took was a great leader to come in and give them some vision. And they actually turned to him and they said, yeah, we're with you. Let's get started. Let's start building. 
See, the thing is, a lot of times there's going to be people around you that are never going to understand that they had some call upon their lives from God. They're never going to understand that God desired for them to do something great until you yourself decide to tell them, let's get busy here. Let's do something. Then they're going, yes, that's right. This is a challenge for all you Christians out there. Who are you in contact with on a daily basis? If you are only surround yourself with other Christian people, tell me you have more influence than this. Truthfully, this, this CYM room should be busting out with people. I'm going to tell you, there's something wrong if we consistently come back every single week just ourselves having what we get from God, and we don't tell anybody anything. This is not the message. It's a message. What's good is a message if you just read it yourself over and over again? This message is the truth. It's to change people's lives and let them come to Christ and have their eternities changed. We're missing it if we're not telling other people. Every one of us should be bringing people here every single week. I'm going to tell you, we're really missing it. I really get angry sometimes. And then when some officials who were Jerusalem enemies heard what he wanted to do, of course, mockery is what happens every time. It's when we tell our friends they need to find God, they need to start doing something, and then your other friend comes up telling us, what, God? Yeah, whatever. I used to go to church. It's not important. There's always going to be someone who's going to mock you. Same thing what Nehemiah went through. But Nehemiah, this manly leader, he shoots back and he says, the God of heaven will make sure we succeed. We're his servants and we're going to work. Rebuilding, you can keep your nose out of it because you have no say in this. Jerusalem is none of your business. You know, let's set some people straight in your life. Stand up for what you believe and quit honestly. These, I've seen more people say bad stuff about God and if you're a Christian, you know, I can tell you, they can call me whatever they want, up and down, say whatever. Don't bother me a bit. Talk bad about my God and you're going to hear an earful from me because I absolutely love and adore Jesus Christ and I won't sit there and let anybody talk bad about him. The thing is, he loved Jerusalem. He wasn't going to let anybody talk bad about him. Jerusalem is none of your business, as he told them. So in chapter 3 of Nehemiah, it gives details as to what family builds what area of the wall and the gates. And it's so interesting because it's so normal. It's so absolutely ordinary. And it goes through this whole entire chapter, and it tells these just ordinary people who are building these gates. It says that the fish gate was built by the Hassaniah brothers. I mean, it's like, you know, Kevin, get your brother. We're going to build this part of the wall. It's, it's just every day, you know. And then the certain ruler, with the help of his daughters, built and repairs another section. That the fountain gate was repaired by another district ruler, and so on and so on and so on. Just basic, everyday people. Each section in front of a person's house being repaired by each one of them that lived there. Along with each priest, also, repaired in front of their own houses. Even mentioning that bolts and bars were reinstalled. That was what they were called to do. Sounds so ordinary, doesn't it? So everyday ordinary, and it is. It was. And they were just ordinary people doing the same thing, too. It's what you guys are. Ordinary, everyday people. But if your time is right and you're doing what God called you to do, it's amazing. It can be written down in God's word and be talked about forever. Nehemiah was, because he was such a great leader, he didn't do all the building himself. But what he did was he gave all these different people around him vision that they could build that they could repair the section in front of their area where they lived. And, and together, all of them could accomplish what was needed to be done. It didn't have to be one person doing it, but together, all of us can accomplish what God's will is. And all the while, though, he continually kept being ridiculed, despised by those who didn't want to see this area built. Illinois Valley, Utica, Mendota, Putnam County, 
All these people. There's people everywhere that don't want to see you do anything for God. It's going to be up to you whether or not you're going to do it or not. There's always going to be people who are going to tell you no, that's not important, going to mock you. It's whether or not you want to step up and you want to voice your opinion and actually do something for God. Nehemiah prays, oh, listen to us, dear God. We're so despised. Boomerang their ridicule on their heads. Have their enemies cart them off as war trophies to a land of no return. Don't forgive their iniquity. Don't wipe away their sin. They've insulted the builders. I don't tell you. A man with a little bit of chutzpah, you know? You know, there we go. You know, don't wipe away their sin. He was mad. He was mad. God, help me. Give me some man that are mad and and will say a few things from time to time. Continued on. They kept at it repairing or building the wall until it was joined together and built up about halfway to its intended height because the people had a heart for their work. That's what's missing today. Missing today. No heart in it. No heart in their work. I'm going to tell you, when you come up here, you better have some heart. You better be doing something with some heart because you know what? I don't do this with no heart. I put my whole life in this. And you know what? It's only going to get stronger and bigger. I have to do more. It can't be less. I'm already frustrated that we're going to be off for two weeks. I'm already sad. You know, I can't wait for a break because I love to have a break, but I'm disappointed. I just figured two weeks that I don't get an opportunity to really talk about what I want to talk about, which is God, which is life-changing. A true leader, though, is going to give vision and will make their vision everyone's vision. That's what a leader does. So this is my vision. Now you guys take it. You run with it. You know, and these things continued on for a while until the enemies of Jerusalem stepped up their attacks, always at an interesting time. The enemy always attacks us at a very interesting time. You know, what it says is right when the wall was finally joined together but built up about halfway to where it was supposed to be built. You know, right at the time when, you know what, you can't go back and it's just about, ugh, frustrating to know that you have to do that and again and then some, that halfway point of accomplishing something is always that toughest part because you're always like, oh, man, that took forever to get to this part. It's going to take that again. We all know that, what that feels like. But it says, but Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the repairs of the walls of Jerusalem were going so well that the breaks in the wall were being fixed that they were absolutely furious. They put their heads together and decided to fight against Jerusalem and create as much trouble as they could. And Nehemiah states that they countered with prayer to our God and said around the clock, guard against them. The thing is, you know what? He was willing to fight. It says here, but soon word was going around in Judah. The, bu- the builders were pooped. The rubbish piles were up. We're in over our heads. We can't put this wall. See what happens? If you get your mind and your vision off Christ and you start to see the things that are going around you instead, you'll falter every time. See, the people that were so willing to build, all those ones out of them are like, you know what? We're tired. We're tired. And there's garbage everywhere. And, you know, we're in over our heads. We can't build this wall. It's when you start to do that that you're going to have a problem. If you take your eyes off God and all the favor that he already had given them, he already had given them so much favor, so they knew that God was with them. You know, the thing is, they, they started to look at their circumstances. They started to feel their feelings instead of really understanding that it was God's will that they still accomplish this. The enemies then began saying, they won't know what hit them. Before they know it, we'll be at their throats, killing them right and left, and that's going to put them at a stop of their work. You know, I'm going to tell you, there are real, true enemies out there that want to see you never say a word, ever, to anybody else about Jesus Christ. 
It's not the way it's supposed to be. The Jews who were with their neighbors kept reporting, they have us surrounded, they're going to attack. You know? (laughs) There's always those people that supposedly are your friends, those people that are supposedly the fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who are, they're fighting along with us, but yet they're the ones who always report to you the stuff that you really don't want to hear. You know, the stuff like, yeah, we're not really making a big difference. You know, we're really not doing anything for God. And, you know, and then you're actually, you're really just frustrated after a while. You're like, are you with me or are you against me? You helping me here or are you not helping me? Because you're really not helping the whole situation. There's always those people that you're going to come across in ministry with. You know, the thing is, if we heard it once, we've heard it a thousand times. The people will tell you that kind of stuff. You know, they're sitting there telling them, they're, they're, they have us surrounded, they're going to attack us. We're not going to make it. Nehemiah didn't have that thought. That wasn't his vision. The next point, boys, Nehemiah was a warrior. And I'm going to tell you what he was to be a warrior. We was to the wall and assigned people by families into their swords, lances, and bows. After looking things over, I stood up and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and everyone else. Don't be afraid of them. Put your minds on the master, great and awesome, and then fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. All of you out there have got to get one vision. This isn't just for you. You have to understand that this vision and what you're fighting for is for your sons and your daughter someday, for your husband and wife someday, for your home someday. Christianity is, whether or not it goes forward, is whether or not you open your mouth and say anything. What are you fighting for? Honestly, you've got to get a bigger vision here. It's not just for you and your simple little salvation message and, okay, I'm good. I'm, I'm going to heaven. What about your kids? If you're not strong, you will not make it. Be a warrior for God. Be like Nehemiah. Be a warrior. You know what? Well, Nehemiah was like Mel Gibson in Braveheart. That's what he was. Get that vision. That's what he was. He was a warrior. He wanted to sit there and say, come on, let's go. You know, let's go fight. It don't matter if we're going to get killed. It doesn't matter if we're going to be beheaded in the next second. But we're going to fight and we're going to make a difference. That's what a warrior does. Nehemiah states that from then on, half of my young men worked while the other half stood guard with lances, shields, bows, and armor. Military officers served as backup for everyone in Judah who was at work rebuilding the wall. The common laborers held a tool in one hand and a spear in the other. Each of the builders had a sword strapped to his side as he worked, and I kept the trumpeter at my side to sound the alert. Then I spoke to the nobles and the officials and everyone else. There's a lot of work going on, and we are spread out along the wall, separated from each other. When you hear the trumpet call, join us there. Our God will fight it for us and against us, for us, and we'll fight against them. The thing is, you have to understand, he was a warrior, It wasn't just the fact that he was building a wall. He was defending the people that he loved, the people that he was concerned about. And it wasn't just to build a wall. It was like, hey, we love this place so much that we're we're, going to not stop building, but we're not also going to stop fighting. We're going to fight for it. You know what? Someone comes up, kill them dead, build a wall. That's what you do. Keep your eye on the prize. That's what you're supposed to do. So Nehemiah was an amazing example. Proves it. Proves it over and over again. Get some role models like Nehemiah. It says, And so we kept working. From first light until the stars came out, half of us holding our lances, I also instructed the people. 
each person and his helper to stay inside Jerusalem, guards by night and workmen by day. We all slept in our clothes. I, my brothers, my workmen, and the guards backing me up, and each one kept his spear in his hand, even while we're getting water. See, the thing you have to understand there is he says, we kept working. Us. He says, all of us. I. So you can see right along, it wasn't just somebody else that he was expecting to work. Nehemiah worked right alongside of every single one of those people that were working hard. It wasn't something he expected other people to do and he wasn't doing. He was doing it right alongside them. You know, it's much easier to stay loyal to someone when they're fighting right alongside with you. If someone sits and says, hey, do a good job, and then they're gone to their little ivory tower every time you turn around, people after a while are like, what am I supposed to be doing here? They're not working. See, Nehemiah understood that. If you're going to be a man of influence, then you have got to be a person who's going to walk alongside those people that you're expecting to work. You know, because when you disconnect, the leader disconnects, others disconnect. That's why I refuse to disconnect. If you see up here, I won't not pick up the vacuum. I won't take out the garbage because you have to have somebody that models it. It's very important to let people see that you're there alongside them in the trenches doing the dirty work just as much as the good work. It doesn't matter. Nehemiah never disconnected, even when it became evident to him that the nobles, these people that were supposedly the people of his friends, were taking advantage of their fellow Jews, asking them to pay lots of money for food to avoid starving, when all of them were in the same fight together. And this leads me to another quality of Nehemiah. Nehemiah had godly anger. There's nothing wrong with anger. See, people a lot of times, you know, they get a bad rap. I am an angry person. I can be very angry. I don't have a lot of patience. Um, Definitely not a person that can sit back and take a lot. Usually, uh, I have a temper. I'm very passionate about the things I love and the things I hate. And uh, Nehemiah had godly anger. But you know what? People a lot of times say, well, you're angry. Anger is not good. You can have anger. It just needs to be godly anger. He says here, he says, I got really angry when I heard their protests and their complaints. And after thinking it over, I called the nobles and the officials on the carpet. I said, each one of you is gouging his brother. He, can, he called all of them into a big meeting to deal with them. And he goes on to remind them that these same people who were just liberated from Egypt, that Pharaoh was trying to make them slaves, and they were being oppressed. He says, now you who are their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, or in, G, in, in Israel, you guys are now doing this to each other. What's wrong with you? He says, you just got them out of slavery. Why are you making them slaves again? What are you doing? And Nehemiah, I love his comedy, says, they said nothing. What could they say? They knew they were wrong. Just sometimes, you know, you need somebody to come up to you and say, hey, what you're doing? Not good. Because a lot of times we know we're not doing good. We know when things aren't going good and we're doing something stupid. Sometimes you really just need someone to walk up to you and say, hey, not cool. Don't do that. You know, a lot of times they can't say anything back to you because they know they're in the wrong. True leaders, they don't shrink from the hard discussions. They have them. If you're going to be a true leader someday, if you're going to be a person who is really a, a godly person, you're going to have to have some really tough conversations with people that you care about in your life. That's an important quality. Another important quality that Nehemiah had. It says that Nehemiah gave. Nehemiah gave financially, and he also gave sacrificially. We told you, well, I worked alongside those people, right alongside with them. But the other thing is, he, what he did is he gave financially himself. He says, I and my brothers and the people working for me have loaned money to our fellow Jews. And then he challenges all the leaders and the landowners that they give back 
to the people, their foreclosed fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, and their homes right now, and forgive all the claims of their money, their grain, their new wine, and their olive oil. And they said to him, we'll give it all back. We won't make any more demands on them. We'll do everything it is that you say. Sometimes you just have to be the one voice that says, hey, these people were being oppressed. These people were being taxed. And their, their young sons and daughters were given away into slavery just to pay off bills. And these are supposed to be their friends, their fellow brothers and sisters in, in Jerusalem. And here they were being treated like this with each other. And he, they, all they needed was somebody to come up and stand up for them and say, hey, you're right, you're, we aren't going to do, we're going to do everything you say. Then he called the priests together and he made them promise to keep their word. Made them promise. There's something to be said for what we vow, what we say in our, with our voices. And then what he does, he says, I emptied my pockets. I turned them inside and out. And he said, so may God empty the pockets and house of everyone who doesn't keep this promise, turned inside out and emptied. And everyone there gave a wholehearted yes, we'll do it. And they praised God. It also goes on to say that for the 12 years that the king gave Nehemiah the role of governor, because that was basically his role. He was a cupbearer, and because he got so much favor, he gets to be the governor of this whole area. So for these 12 years, neither him nor any of his brothers used the governor's food allowance. See, what they were supposed to do is they were supposed to go into this area and they were supposed to be able to get a collection from the people. And because they were there working as like the governor, the godly people, they were supposed to be able to have all their bills paid for them. They were supposed to have a food allowance. They were supposed to have wine. They were supposed to be taken care of. But because of the fact that Nehemiah loved these people so much, he he saw they were already being oppressed. He already saw that they had nothing. So his desire was not to come in and take from them more just so he could get something. He knew that. See, these governors that had preceded him before, you know, out of Nehemiah's fear for, you know, he feared God. He feared God. He wanted to do what God would want. So what he says is he, um, the people before him had preceded him and oppressed the people by taxing them 40 shekels of silver a day for food and wine. But out of his fear for God, he did none of that. He says, I had work to do. I worked on this wall. All my men were on the job to do the work, and we didn't have time to line our own pockets. What he does instead is instead of collecting money from them, he instead gives sacrificially. He says in the story that he actually feeds over 150 Jews and officials out of his own money because he says the people that he was trying to help had had it hard enough as it was. So not only did he not take from them, but he gave to them everything he could possibly give. See, the thing is, we aren't that sacrificial so many times. It's like, what's in it for me? So you see, Nehemiah was not one bit selfish. Everything was selfless. It's like, how can I put myself away and give to these people? That's what we're missing in today's society. Everything's all about me. It's not what it's supposed to be when you're a true follower of Christ. The other thing is Nehemiah never gave up. He never lost his nerve, ever. He never lost it. And the thing is with Christianity, Christianity, it's not that you start it, but you finish it. And Nehemiah was a finisher. In chapter 6 of Nehemiah, the same enemies that tried to stop building the wall over and over again, man, they tried all these other tactics, everything they could possibly do to destroy, destroy him after he finished building it. But yet he says he finished the wall, but he didn't install the gates and the bolts and the bars on it is what it says. And so they sent him a message. They tell him to meet with him. And Nehemiah knew... Basically, this is another tactic. You're just trying to destroy me again, just trying to get me again and cause problems. So he knew that they were just trying to scheme to hurt him. So he sends a message back to me. He says, I'm doing a great work. 
I can't come down. Why should the work come to a standstill just so I can come down to see you? You know, there's somebody that was, had, some, had some sense to just set it things straight. Tell people to what it was, you know. And four times the Bible says that he sent him that message. Four times Nehemiah gives him the same answer. I'm doing a great work. I ain't stopping here just so I can go see you. The fifth time, then they try another tactic. They say the word is out among the nations. And Geshem says it's true that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. That's why you are rebuilding the wall. The word is that you want to be king now and that you have appointed prophets to announce in Jerusalem there's a king in Judah. The king is going to be told all this. Don't you think we should sit down and talk now? And Nehemiah sends back the message. There's nothing to what you're saying. You've made it all up. Just set him straight again. They're basically just trying to intimidate us into quitting, he said. They thought they'll give up. They'll never finish it. But what he does instead is he says, I prayed, God, give me strength. Sometimes it's all you can do. God, give me strength. There's something coming at you every time you turn around. Another tactic, another fight. Just get this battle done and another fight comes up. Sometimes to be a strong person of, of, of God, you're going to have to understand you're going to have many, many ways to fight different tactics they're going to throw at you. And then another tactic says, Nehemiah meets with another noble, a person who was a fellow Jew, who tells him that they should meet at the house of God instead and, uh, of where they're at and go inside the temple and find safety behind locked doors because the people that were trying to stop him from building were going to try to come kill him. Now, this is unacceptable in those days. The thing is, at that time, this is before Jesus Christ, and only certain priests were allowed to go inside the temple. And only on a certain time of the year. You weren't allowed just to go into the temple. If you went to the temple, you were basically going to be done for. And basically, all the honor that he set before these people, they knew if they could get him to compromise, that he could be afraid and he could go inside the temple as a, just a, a normal man and not a priest, that everyone would lose respect for him. They tried another tactic. And you know what he says? Why would a man like me run for cover? Why? Why would a man like me use the temple as a hideout? I ain't going to do that. That's what he tells them. He's like, why would I dishonor myself? After all I just did, why would I give up and just be stupid? The Bible says that he sensed that God hadn't, seen this, hadn't sent this man, that the prophecy that this man spoke, he knew that this, this was a man that was hired by his enemies, that they were just another, using another tactic to, destroy, tactic to try to destroy him. That's what it was all about. Finally, the wall says it's finished in 52 days. And then and only then did all the enemies lose their nerve. They finally knew, finally, after hearing about it over and over again, that God was behind all this work all along. Sometimes that's just how the world works, isn't it? Let's try anything. And finally, you know, I guess they're right. God was in that. Afterward, too, we can see that Nehemiah also dealt with enemies in his own camp who were doing their best to destroy the work and stop the building and that they were also telling the enemies all that he was saying and trying to do, too. You know, there's so many times there's going to be people alongside of you that you think are your friends. And a lot of times there's going to be people who are going to be the people who are telling the enemy a lot of the stuff that you don't want them to be told. And you're not going to know always who's on your side and who's not. But the thing is, you just have to keep your eye on God. That's what it's all about. The key here is in letting someone like Nehemiah be a role model for you is that statement that I just mentioned a few sentences back. It's whether or not you're going to keep your vision and your, desi- your desire to succeed in all that you're going to try to accomplish. And it's basically whether or not you understand the fact that you are doing a great work. 
If you're a true follower of Christ, you have to look at it that way. That what you're doing, I don't care if it's just talking to your friend at school, you're doing a great work. Donald Stamps puts it this way in the Full Life Study Bible. God's people must have a vision of greatness of the work to which he calls them. Even though our task or contribution may seem very small or inconsequential, together, all of us are doing a great work. See, the thing is, you've got to get a bigger vision. I may not save the world, but I may save one person or tell them the truth, and that one person may be the one catalyst that could change history. We don't know. That's why you think, what does it matter if I tell my friend? What if that friend was the one who was going to change history? We don't know. We have to step up and understand that even if it seems so inconsequential, even if it seems so small, that we have to voice what we say we voice. If we believe it. The problem is if, again, do you believe it? I think that's where we really, the rubber meets the road. How much do you really believe it? We need to pattern ourselves after people like Nehemiah. Man, this was a man who was resolute. Nothing was going to stop him. He was rebuilding the wall, you know, Friend or foe, he was building that wall. Great vision, along with unwavering faith, will always help us to keep God's purpose for our lives. And that will change our generation, and it will change generation upon generation upon generation. The problem is if you're going to do it. I am so tired of watching Christian kids sit back and do nothing. Absolutely nothing. There really is a call to a call to battle here. It's like Braveheart. You better get busy. You better get pick up your sword and you better get your hammer because we're gonna have to build and we're gonna have to fight. Same thing. Nehemiah was a great role model. No more Charles Barkley's and Tiger Woods and all these different celebrities and stars. What good is that? You'll be just as much of a heathen as they are. Whoopity-doo. What's the point? If you're a Christian, don't you want to have a Christian role model? Don't you want some, somebody who's passionate about the things that they love? Because it draws you to passion. You're just like, yeah, I want to fight. I want to do that too. But a lot of times we see that people don't have passion because they don't really even live it and believe it. How is that ever going to affect our friends and our family and our neighbors and those people around us to want it? You know, it's just not the way I want to live. I really want you to start thinking about who you're patterning yourselves after. What role models do you have? Get some. Get some that are worthy. If you have a father or mother that's really, truly found after Christ, make them your role models. And when they tell you to do something, stop and think, maybe, hey, this might be for my own good. Maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. It may not be what you want to do at that time, but stop and think long term. Am I going to finish building the wall? Or am I just going to just falter and give up? I really want to challenge you. Because I really think what happens a lot of times is we listen to a message. And we do just what the Bible says. Where it says you look in the mirror. You turn around. You forget what you look like. Look inside yourself. Stop and think who you are. I really want you to challenge yourself. Because you've only got so many weeks left in this year. What are you going to do in 2009? What is it going to be? Next, year we're going to, next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about vision, looking back, going in the future, thinking about what we're going to do, and also celebrate. Also, I'll probably commiserate. 
I'll probably be a little upset because I really don't think it's enough. Whatever we've done, not enough. Not enough. Unless we're bursting at the seams here, we're not enough. I challenge you to bring somebody. Next week, bring them. Have them come next year. Bring friends. What good is this to sit here and do nothing every week over and over and over again? I love you. I think you're all cute. Great. But you know what? I'm sick of looking at your faces. Get me some others. This message has to go forward. Okay? Get busy. All right, let me pray for you. Lord, I just thank you so much for everything that you give us, Lord. We just thank you for people like Nehemiah in the, in the Bible, Lord. I just praise you for him, Lord. I just thank you, Father, that you give him as such an example for us to follow, Lord. I just ask, Father, that you would help each one of us to become Nehemiahs, Lord, that we wouldn't give up, that we would just be dogged in their determination to tell people about you. Lord, I just pray that you would help us, Lord, to grow strong, Lord. I just pray that 2009 would be a, a year, Lord, that would be amazing, that we could look and say this was a, a catalyst year, just a life that, life-changing, life-altering year. And I just pray, Father, that you would just go home with each person here tonight. I just pray that you would put inside their heart, Lord, just a desire to uh, show more and more desire to follow after you, Lord, a desire to read your word, a desire to be in prayer, a desire to worship you. And I just pray, Father, that you would help us to become those people. God, I just thank you for everything that you're doing in each one of our lives now. And I just pray, Father, that you would just uh, just help it to grow. I just pray that you go home with each person, Lord. Keep them all safe and their families, Lord. And we just ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.